Real estate is constantly growing, but it always has its good days and bad days. This podcast will provide an overview of the state of the real estate market from an expert. With years of experience in the field, Mike Riley and Mike Ferrante will give you an overview of what's happening in real estate this month of July. Is there a crash coming? We will answer this question and more on the Real Estate Investor Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Riley. Back on the air with another podcast. And with me once again is my uh, partner in Cleveland Real Estate, Mike Ferrante. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good to be here. July 4th weekend. You got the work done at the mother-in-law's yesterday. So now yeah, you're... Yeah, just right. Now you're free to do podcasts. So give for, uh, of course, as, as is our tradition, give us your uh, uh, caffeinated status. <laughs> I'm one cappuccino into the day, Mike. Okay. All right. Well, I just had my, my herbal tea, so I'm waiting for my regular caffeinated tea. So anyways, well, we have had a very interesting conversation, uh, folks, before we uh, started this podcast, talked to a neighbor's father who's moving, he's in his mid-80s, moving from Chevy Chase, he and his wife, moving to the Forest Hill area be close to his son and daughter, their son and daughter-in-law. So um, they want to live in Forest Hill. They want to live close. And so Mike's group has the listing on a house that they're interested in. Uh, now, obviously, Mike, do, you know, you're ethically responsible for the seller, so we're not going to get into the, the details. But here's the house that's actually had a little bit of a price drop. So that's going to be our segue into July heat check. So give us the overview, Mike, of status of Cleveland real estate investor in light of increased interest rates and the threat of a recession upcoming. Yeah. So we've got a bunch of factors, uh, rates rising, got inflation, you've got a war going on. Uh, all these worries are having a lot of people asking me, is a crash coming? What's the, how's the market? You know, I always get these questions and, you know, we do our heat checks every month, but, you know, using that house as sort of a case study example, you know, buyers are starting to ask those questions. Mike, how long has it been on the market? Remember those days when, when buyers would ask that question. And, you know, usually if you waited to ask that question, you know, the last couple of years, it was too late. Oh yeah. That, that house sold three days ago, but yeah, we're starting to see, longer time on market. We're starting to see price reductions, which is something that was unheard of here for the last couple of years. And, you know, sort of on an anecdotal level, that's what's happening. You know, it's returning to more of a normal market. Mike, remember the days when 30 days on market wasn't out of the ordinary? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this house uh, that our guy from Chevy Chase is interested in, um, you know, I walked past it yesterday and it's, it's a pretty tired house, tired looking house. I mean, it's, you know, it's got a paint job and everything, but even that's starting to peel in a few areas. And, you know, the air conditioning is sort of rusty and needs to be replaced. The uh, windows haven't been washed. You know, it's, uh, it, it, I mean, let's put it this way. It looks like there's going to be some work needed to make it uh, habitable. I mean, the hardwood floors look okay. I mean, Everything is probably just a quick coat of paint on it. But this is where, not in a white hot market, but in a starting to cool down a little, but 
not get into a recession. Those kind of homes are, they're going to sit there, right? Yeah, we're, we're going back to, the, you know, our old conversations, Mike, about, hey, you got to wash your windows, you got to clean up your landscaping. And, and for a while here, sellers pretty much couldn't do any wrong. They're like, well, I'm not going to do that. And the house will still sell. And, and that's, that was the case. But we're going to return to a normal market here, where demand doesn't so far outseed, uh, exceed supply, that sellers and agents are going to have to adjust again and start doing things that we used to do when the market was more balanced, and that is prepare houses correctly and price them correctly. And, and that's where we're headed. Right. And also, there's a psychological shift going on the last couple of weeks um, with the rise in interest rates and the rise in inflation. And this is the classic market corrective actions that taking people psychologically are saying, you know what, maybe I don't take that trip. Maybe I don't get into the car and drive 500 miles here. Maybe I just kind of hunker down, given, you know, $5 gas. And, uh, you know, maybe I finally pull the trigger on getting an electric vehicle, which I did two weeks ago. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. I bought a Tesla. And the first time I ever bought a used car instead of leasing a new. So I'm looking at uh, selling our... um, We've got two cars in lease and the buyout versus what the actual car is worth in this hot used market is worth just buying that car out from the lease and then flipping the the car. So I decided, you know, I'm sick of looking at a $90 fill up for my Audi A6 and I bought a Tesla, uh, 2018 Tesla, you know, it's only got like. 30,000 miles on it when I bought it. And I, I only put five or 6,000 miles on the car during the year anyway, because I'm not doing a lot of commuting. Uh, my house is close to the building. As you know, I don't do as many estimates as I used to. Uh, I don't travel long distances a lot. So, you know, instead of spend, you know, 90 bucks every maybe 10, 12 days, I'm spending 25 cents on electricity. Mm. Yeah, so. you, you, you talked about the travel trips. You know, I think that people are even thinking about those shorter jaunts. You know, when you start doing the math and, and I'll give you an example. My, my stepdaughter likes to drive out to Kent to grab a bubble tea. And, you know, that's a 30, 40 minute ride. You start doing the math. It's a, yeah, it's a $4 bubble tea, but the gas costs you $10. So now that's a $14 bubble tea. Right. And then I heard, uh, I read a story in the Wall Street Journal the other day that said that gas uh, station owners are noticing that people aren't going in and buying candy or little accessories. They're saying, all right, well, I just paid $10 more than I would normally do for gas or 50. Maybe I don't buy, I go in and buy a bunch of food. So they're, they're, they're seeing a drop off. And I think what's going to happen with the price of oil, price of gas, is that everybody is going to make millions of people are going to make these million, millions of different uh, buying shifts. And all of a sudden, you're not using as much gas. And it's certainly going to accelerate moving into uh, electric vehicles. I mean, everybody is coming out with an electric vehicle, Volkswagen, Subaru. Audi, BMW, GM is all in. And 
I got to tell you, folks, if you haven't driven an EV, you should test drive one. They are so fun to drive. The acceleration is off the charts. Uh, it's quiet. You know, you drive into the garage and you don't have to worry about exhaust fumes. And, you, and literally, you plug it in. I've got my car currently plugged in on a 110 line in the garage. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. I thought I they mean, all needed. Look, yeah, I thought the no. all electric needed a special line. No, no, it's a 110 line. Now it takes forever to, you know, to charge it up. But, you know, I drove 50 miles or 40 miles yesterday. We went out to dinner and um, I probably used maybe 8% of the uh, battery usage. Well, I can overnight, I went to bed at 11. It's 11 a.m. now. Um, I'm doing a podcast. I'm not going to turn that car on until, you know, a good 12, 13 hours. And by that time, it, that 110 line will replace the energy that was used yesterday. Mm, gotcha. So, and at the warehouse, we've got a, uh, where my building is, we have a 220 line. And it only takes like two hours to, to re recharge the whole car. Not that I ever go below 65%, but... Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Hey, let's stop here. We got to pay some bills. 30 seconds and we'll be back. If you've been listening to this podcast, then you understand or should understand the pitfalls of investing in Cleveland real estate. Say you're looking for an investment property to rent, and these are the things that could happen and often do. You overpay for a house and it's in the ghetto. Then you find that it's a money pit with endless surprise repairs. Your hapless property manager, who may be the brother-in-law of the realtor, gets a tenant who after three months stops paying the rent. Then the toilet explodes and you have nobody to repair it because guess what? The property manager is not answering the phone. Yep, that's the ugly side of the Cleveland real estate market. But we have a solution. Buy one of our properties. It's been inspected. It's been vetted. It's in a rock solid part of town. It comes with a gold star tenant paying top dollar rent and we manage it. Call us at 216-371-8160 if you're interested. But let's get back to real estate instead of cars <laughs> right. and gas and whatever. So keep going. Yeah. So I mean, it's still we're, we're so we're going to see this trend, and and I want to remind everybody, you know, because this is the big thing I get. Everyone's asking me, how's the market? Are we heading for a crash? Uh, you know, and I obviously don't have a crystal ball, but here's here's what I can tell you. Everyone thinks about two thousand eight. And they talk about the crash of 08. Remember, that did not happen overnight. Markets don't turn on a dime typically. And that real estate crash, as we called it, happened from 2008 to 2012. So anyone who thinks that there's going to be this sudden 30% drop in value in real estate, my money's on that not happening. Sure, there could be an adjustment, but all the predictions I'm seeing uh, are saying that real estate prices will continue to rise, but that rise is going to be slower. We're not going to see five to 10% appreciation here in Cleveland, uh, but through all of the past recessions, with the exception of 08, 
real estate prices rose, especially in a high inflation environment, which we have now. I mean, the very definition of inflation, right, Mike? Prices go up and real estate's no exception. Right. So you're selling your house and making more money, but then the house that you've got to buy or rent is more money. So if you go back, and I, I think I've said this before in another podcast, so listeners, please indulge me here. Say it once again. Back in 09, 010, you know, 2010, it, at the depth of the recession, you know, you were looking at people, they're staring at their house being worth 10, 20%, 30% less than it was in 08, maybe even more. They, some people had a mortgage, they were literally had to write a check, you know, to get out. But that house that they were, that they wanted to move up to, you know, the bigger house, guess what? That was 30, 40% less, right? right? Yep. And the same thing happens now. You're, you're sure you're selling, but it's all, it's all proportionate, you know, and, and they always say you don't try to time markets. So it, it's not like you should be sitting there saying, well, maybe I'll, I'll sell now and rent for a year and prices will get better. I, I think in the long run, long run, that's just a waste of time. Yeah, that's like investing in the stock market when you're you're trying to time the market. When is the market going to be at its, I mean, like right now, I mean, the market's just gotten whacked. But I think you get a couple of, uh, you start seeing the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, uh, steady when inflation is starting to get under control. I think the market is oversold and it's going to come back. But again, we're drifting out of, out, out of real estate. I think... And I want you to give me your analytics on this, Mike. My theory is that there is speculative bubbles that are beginning to get their wake-up call. And those are areas in Cleveland which are never going to come around. I've seen out-of-state buyers buying in areas where, you know what, in a couple of years, there's going to be no rebound here. And people are going to realize that it's a dead end, um, as opposed to areas like, say, University Heights on the border, like we talked about micro-targeting, Mike, close to yep. super hot areas. Those are the areas that are going to continue to do well. What, what's your thought? Yeah, it's kind of that whole slow and steady wins the race mentality. So, you know, we saw huge appreciation in inner city Cleveland. And I'm already seeing investors who bought in those areas wanting to cash out because they're they're saying what we've been saying on podcasts for years now that, well, gosh, the numbers made sense on paper, but this this investment just isn't panning out. So, you know, people probably think I like to pick on Slavic Village as an example, but you know, the city just dumped tons of money into Slavic Village. And, and you know what? It does look better. But I think all these folks that are thinking that Slavic Village is the next Ohio City it's a long way from that. And my personal opinion is that Slavic Village is never going to get there. It's, it, it's never going to attain the status and the price level of an Ohio city. So I think that's probably kind of what you're talking about. Right, Mike? Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. Mike, so let's wrap up this first segment of heat check before we move into our next uh, subject. And so summarize for our listeners out there who are thinking of investing in Cleveland where would you invest in? Uh, what areas? 
are still good? What would you stay away from? Or just give me your general overview. Yeah, so, you know, I can, I, I believe in what we talk about, which is that micro-targeting that before you start saying, oh, well, I heard Cleveland Heights is good, or I heard Darfield Heights is good, or, you know, any, any area, before you start picking just a general area, that it's really important to get with an expert and figure out within that area where you invest and what types of properties. So, you know, is it better to have a, a quad you know, or is it better to buy single families? You know, I, I believe just like any portfolio in diversification, but at the same time, I think that when you look at numbers on paper and just using the example of a quad versus a single, the numbers on quads are going to look amazing. But do you know all the pit, pitfalls of investing in a property like that? And if you don't, you might be in for a rude wake-up call. So I don't think it's just just the areas, Mike, but also the types of properties. And you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna pin me down and say, hey, give me give me some hot stock tips, you know, I still believe that the heights areas where the point of sale inspections were and still are prevalent, I think that's the slow and steady wins the race type investments. I also yeah, and I also think you need to connect the dots. You investors out there, you need to connect the dots. And what is my end game here? I mean, you're looking at a house. You've got a realtor. We talked about getting your team in place. you got to get that qualified property manager in place. And I'm talking about somebody who's got a, a very good triple B rating, Better Business Bureau rating. So you've got to get your team in place. And then you've got to ask yourself, did this duplex in Cleveland in more the inner city, the Slavic village, is that rentable? That's the big question. Is this property that just looks on paper when you do your, you know, your cap rates and your this rate, you know, you're doing your impression of Igor on Ghostbusters. <laughs> he's, he's looking at his, uh, played by the great Harold Ramis. <laughs> Instead of looking at the ghost, he's looking at his, uh, his homemade uh, ghost finder and measuring that. But you've got to look at the end of the day. Am I going to get quality tenants that aren't going to destroy the property? And those would be like interns at University Hospital who are hardly ever there anyways. And when they do come in, all they want to do is sleep. Or, or am put, I a frozen, get... put a frozen meal in the microwave and then crash, That's right? It. That's it. They're not. I mean, you've got to think about who is the renter here. Are we going to get a bunch of blended families with boyfriend problems? And within six months, the place is destroyed. Or the only people that are going to rent are those people whose credit is still, well, it, it needs work, quote unquote. And that's what people miss. What is the end game here? And when you look at a, at a property, you've got to look at Who's going to be attracted to living there? So, Mr. or Mrs. Investor, would your brother-in-law, would you send them to the house that you're buying in that neighborhood? That might be the, the, the number one question you've got to ask yourself. Yeah, that's so, a great would, point, Mike. Anything to add to that? Well, you know, one of the ways that I uh, like to answer questions, you know, because I'm bound by all kinds of fair housing and realtor ethics stuff, but... Uh, when, when people ask me questions, sometimes one of the answers I give is, well, you know what, I, I don't have a 
I don't have a gun, so I don't go over, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable going there. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's one way to answer the question. Yeah. The, what, what, the gun meter, the, the, yeah. the uh, conceal, <laughs> concealed carry law rule. Right. <laughs> you, you need a concealed permit to go collect the, you know, uh, the rent. Yeah. I mean, everybody, again, let's, let's draw on that one, uh, that one episode we did uh, last year where it said, everybody's making money, but me. I yeah. mean, the realtor is making their commission, right? The property manager is, you know, charging you a monthly fee just to, I don't know, I don't know what they're doing, but, you know, they're not telling you that this house sucks and you should maybe sell it. And the tenants may move in and stop paying on the rent. So they're making money. Everybody at the end of the day, everybody's making money, but, but you, the investor, yeah, so, I, I have a great comment and a little little tip for investors on this. When they're talking with property uh, property managers, one of the questions that they should be asking is, do you charge me when my property is vacant? And if so, how much? I, I do think that, well, I know that some property managers charge for managing a vacant property. And, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm not going to make judgments on that, but the question becomes, if you're making money off my vacant property, what's your motivation to get it rented? So I think that's something that should be carefully examined. Yes, there are tasks involved in managing a vacant property, but if they're making a good buck with the property vacant, then you've got to ask yourself, how motivated are they to get it rented to a qualified tenant? Exactly. And here's the other thing about the vacant property. And if you are that property manager is charging you to manage that. The other thing to consider is what are they doing to manage a vacant property? Let's say it's the middle of the winter. It's, it's January, February in Cleveland. Hey, you people out in LA, guess what? January and February can be bad in Cleveland. <clears throat> okay. Like frozen pipes. All of a sudden you get uh, a house where, you know, the furnace isn't running and all of a sudden you get frozen pipes and there's an explosion of frozen pipes and the water keeps running and all of a sudden the interior of the house is destroyed. Is anybody watching that? Is anybody turning the water off in the house or putting uh, antifreeze in the toilet, you know, or maybe running a little bit of water? So these are the things that, you know, I mean, people who have vacation houses in, you know, Maine and Vermont in the winter, they winterize the house before they leave. They, they shut the water off and they, they do all these different things. And when they're winterizing the house, it's an easy thing to get it back up to snuff if suddenly you get somebody, you, you know, moving in. And that's what winterizing is. And that, well, you know, we'll talk about that when we get into uh, some of our December podcasts. But right now, the uh, heat check seems to be that things are starting to settle into a more normal, maybe slightly hotter for the seller, but it's definitely cooling down. Good way to put it, Mike. That's exactly right. It, it's not crashing. Uh, it is not even back to a normal market yet. It's still, I would consider it a seller's market, but yeah, it's a shifting market. I think that's the word that I've heard that best describes it. And you and there better be value for the buyer to sell that house. Don't don't throw up a piece of junk, uncut lawns, dirty windows, 
and think this place is if people are going to line up and make multiple bids on the house. Okay. So, all right. Well, we will, uh, we're going to take a pause here and we've got part two coming up. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to the Cleveland Real Estate Investor Podcast with Mike Riley. Please add our show or follow us on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. Leave a like or comment on the video. All engagement is appreciated. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well for video content coming soon. For any Cleveland listeners or Cleveland Browns fans, you can check out our other podcast, Cleveland Browns Anonymous, for our weekly group therapy session. This is also on all the same platforms as the Cleveland Real Estate Investor.